Father, um, I come through the blood of Jesus and ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would please you. That what you have on your heart will be communicated clearly to the hearts of these children who sit there and love you so much. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Where is God? Well, two brothers were terrible troublemakers. They were always breaking things, stealing things, lying, making all kinds of general trouble. And the parents had tried everything to get them to change, but to no avail. Finally, completely out of options, they asked the pastor, and our pastor would be pretty good at this actually, they asked the pastor if he would talk to the boys. And he agreed, but he said, I'll only talk to them one at a time. So the parents took one boy home, and the other boy stayed and was sitting in a chair across from the pastor. And the pastor's thinking, now oh, how do I go about this? And he finally says, where is God? And the little boy just kind of looks at him, doesn't say anything, and sort of stares at the ceiling and the floor. And the pastor says again a little louder, where is God? And the little boy squirms a little and shuffles around, but he doesn't answer. And the pastor gets really annoyed that this little boy is not making an effort to converse with him. And he says in a rather loud an intimidating voice, where is God? Well, the little boy jumps out of his seat, runs all the way home, runs up the stairs, runs to his brother in their bedroom, and says, we are in such big trouble. God is missing, and they think we did it. <laughs> so where is God? Believers answer that question by faith. And I love it when, just like with Jane, God reminds me of his presence with me in a special way. Um, when we came home from Albany last week, we were in Albany for our grandson's first birthday, and both boys were sick as dogs. I mean, fevers, 102 to 103, just clinging to us. They were so miserable. Both Eric and I started to feel sick during the week, but we, you know, I kept praying through. And, but I got home, and, and I, was, I was really tired, and um, I knew I had the, the sermon to prepare, and I had this list of shoulda, coulda, things I should be doing. And my husband said, let's take the kayaks out. And, and, and I didn't really feel like I wanted to do that, but uh, being the perfect companion and wife that I am... I really did not want to disappoint him. So we, we got the kayaks out, and, and, um, and I'm still feeling pretty disgruntled as I'm paddling up the lake. And um, we get up the lake, and I see Eric, and he's, he's, he, he's not that excitable a guy. But he's like pointing at the sky, and he's, you know, really excited. And, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and, and all of a sudden I see this beautiful eagle just soaring. And it didn't just, just soar away, so I had to catch it quickly. It just soared and soared and swooped right over me, right around me. And it was, it was so, so beautiful. And it was God's way of reminding me of his presence in a very special way. And I, I, I believe by faith that God sent that eagle there just to encourage me. Immediately the scripture rose up. 
Those who wait upon the Lord renew their strength. They run and not grow weary. They walk and not faint. Where is God? Well, I liked a lot of your answers. He's in his word. He's in my heart. He's here. He's everywhere. We have answers from faith. Psalm 139, 7-10 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus tells us, Precious promise, and lo, I am with you always. In John 14, 16 through 17, God says, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. And all the things that you said in response to the question, where is God, are faith responses. God is in us. God is with us. He never leaves. He never forsakes. Where is God? And because we've been given a gift of faith, we have an answer to that question that hold, and, and grace that holds like an anchor when we start to struggle or lose sight of him. And we do struggle and lose sight of him sometimes. Or at least I do. Where is God? Well, sinful choices make that question a little harder to answer. Isaiah 59, 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. He's still there with open arms. But sometimes sin can cloud out our vision and make him seem hard to find. Unbelief and lack of faith also makes that question a little hard to answer. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When in this fallen world tragedy happens, you hear a lot of people asking where God is. And unfortunately, a lot of the time they use that question as a battering ram to attempt to prove that God doesn't exist. Where is God? If there is a God, where was he when 26 children were murdered at Sandy Hook? And unbelief answers, God is nowhere. And the hardened heart answers, he doesn't exist. If he does exist, he must not care. But faith has a different answer. He is where he always is, right there, welcoming each one of those children into his arms and taking them safely to their heavenly home. He is where he always is, at work in that young man by his spirit, calling him, that troubled young man, to commit his life to him and not go through with this terrible act, 
to turn to Christ, to follow him, to live out the good plan he has for his life, not end it with a gun in his mouth. He's where he always is, saying, I love you, son. Don't do this. Come to me. I set before you life and death. Choose life. That's where God is. When the bombs exploded at the Boston Marathon, the overwhelming cry was not to seek and find God. Although many Christians prayed and gave and ministered, the cry of the hurting city was not to gather a huge assembly in Fenway Park to pray and seek God. The overwhelming cry was for the city to come out in force and attend the Red Sox game at Fenway Park to show Bostonian strength. The baseball game has to happen. The Red Sox have to play because it will bring healing. But faith answers differently. Now, maybe if it had been the Yankees. <laughs> faith answers differently. Faith answers from the heart of the God we know and worship. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. That's the faith answer. And we know by faith where God is when people are broken by violence that he never intended for his children to experience. He's there with an unchanging invitation, come to me, I can comfort, I can heal, I can give beauty for ashes, I can turn mourning into dancing, I can work all things together for good if you're willing to be called according to my purpose for your life. I can do miracles of redemption and restoration and bring grace into this troubled place. That's where God is when we answer by faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So let's take this scripture one thought at a time. And without faith, where is God? Every human heart, I believe every human heart at some point longs for an answer to that and some answer out of their intellect, and some answer out of anger, and some answer out of hatred. But the answer is found in faith. I like the way Pastor Jack Hayford teaches about faith. He says, Faith is built on our understanding that the entire creation, visible and invisible, is a result of our Creator's direct intelligent action and not some random chance. So because I am a woman of faith, when I saw the eagle, I did not say, oh, how wonderful. I wonder what primordial goo over millions of years popped that critter out. <laughs> I said, thank you, God. That's the faith answer. Thank you, God. Your creation is beautiful. Everything you do is beautiful. You are good. You are good. And it shows in this beautiful day and in that eagle soaring over my head. Pastor Hayford makes a second point about faith. 
Faith is encountering God in personal ways. Believing that he is more than a force. He is a personal God who relates to those who seek him in providential and redemptive ways. So because I'm a woman of faith, when I saw the eagle, I did not sail, Hail to you, almighty bird, sent to me from some mysterious force in Mother Earth. Because I have faith in a loving, personal God, I responded by worshiping. Oh, God, that is so beautiful, and I know you put that there just for me, and I can't even believe how much you love me, that you would do such a thing, that you would take this moment out of my day and fill it with, with a, an awareness of who you are and how much you love me and how much I can depend on you and how much I don't have to worry, and I worship you and I praise you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. That's, the refaith, that's a faith response. Where is God? He's right there with you every day, every step of the way, up front and personal, redeeming you and gracefully working out every detail of your life if you put your faith in him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Well, where is God? Scripture tells us he inhabits the praise of his people. Psalm 22.3 says, Yet you are holy, O you who are throned upon the praises of Israel. God is with us when our faith response is worship. Worship is the key to entering fully into God's presence. When we worship him, we please him enough to make him want to come in a special way. As Pastor often tells us, God finds our worship completely irresistible. What pleases God is that our hearts and minds display his being and his beauty, his excellence and his existence. What pleases God is that we display how real and rewarding he is. He reveals himself to us, and by faith we believe and receive that revelation. And our response is not only our physical worship, but our response is also the worship displayed by the graceful and obedient way we choose moment by moment, day by day, decision by decision, choice by choice, to live our life. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul taught us that. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Every choice we make that reflects our love for him is part of our worship. The Psalms teach us how to display him in worship and praise, and he's enthroned right there. And we have many examples in Scripture of people who pleased him by living lives that reflected their worship of him. When we follow their example, it's easy for us and everyone else to see where God is. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. The book of Romans teaches us that um, God's revelation of himself in creation is so powerful that no one has an excuse for not believing God exists. Where is God? We believe that he is. 
We find him when by faith we believe he is. He is always with us. He is faithfully helping, faithfully providing. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. He is healer, creator. He is savior. He is closer than a brother. He is. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. He is. He is. And that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. If you seek, you will find. God couldn't have made that message more clear. Where is God? Faith has an answer the world does not. You will find him if you seek him. And he will be your exceedingly great reward. Just knowing him is an exceedingly great reward. If that's all that ever happened, we would need to fall on our face forever and worship. But he does more. He does more. Out of his love, he does more. Blessings are birthed in our lives when we seek him and find him. His plan for our lives comes to life when we come to him in faith, believing he is. He is. The book of Ruth tells the story of the faith walk of a young Moabite girl. The story takes place in the time of the judges. Now the time of the judges, as you know, I'm sure, is a pretty chaotic time. <coughs> the Bible tells us that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. <laughs> and you can, uh, you can tell already that that's not good. They deliberately broke their covenant with God by worshiping other gods. And as a result, God delivered them into the hands of various enemies and oppressors. Each time they got delivered into the hands of various enemies and oppressors, they cried out to God. And every time they got desperate enough to go looking for God, they found him. They cried out to him, and he faithfully raised up a judge to deliver them. But sadly, it, it was a pretty bleak reoccurring pattern. Worship God. Sin and separation, hardened hearts, idolatry, face the consequences of breaking the covenant. Uh-oh, we're in trouble. Where's God? Cry out. God raises up a judge to deliver them. We start over again. We worship God. Pretty soon, sin and separation, hardened hearts, idolatry, facing the consequences, and it just went on and on. This dark and confusing time is the backdrop for a very beautiful story of a girl of faith and and, and the grace of God. And it's the story of Ruth. And I'm not just saying that because my new granddaughter is Deborah Ruth. <laughs> I had to get that in, though. It's a story of God's grace in a troubled place, not only for the Israelites who received rescue after rescue, but for Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. We're going to look at Ruth 1 and 2. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed, that there was a famine in the land. Now, the famine is actually a direct result of the people's sin. In the book of Deuteronomy, God had told them, the land will turn against you if you don't stop your idolatry. And it did. And a certain man of Bethlehem, 
a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was, I'm going to slow down, Elimelech, and the wife of, name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now it's interesting to note that Bethlehem means bread, and Judah means praise. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. In Psalm 108.9, God calls Moab his wash pot or garbage pot, garbage can. It's a pagan land where the god of Shemesh was worshipped. The worship of Shemesh included human sacrifice and temple prostitution. Elimelech gets frightened. He doesn't believe God can take care of his family in the land of bread and praise. So without any direction from God to do so, he migrates with his family to the garbage can. And he doesn't just go there for food in return. He remains there 10 years. He chose to abandon faith, move in to the garbage can, and live in disobedience outside of God's protective canopy. Well, soon after their arrival, as we continue to look at the book of Ruth, Elimelech dies, and his two sons marry Moabite women. One was named, I don't want to say Oprah, one was named Orpah, and the other named Ruth. After a short time, the two sons also die. Naomi hears that the famine is over. Having lost both her husband and her sons, Naomi decides to return to her homeland and bids farewell to her daughter-in-laws. Orpah at first refuses to abandon her mother-in-law, but eventually decides to return to Moab. Ruth, on the other hand, cleaves to her mother-in-law and to her faith and ascends to Israel with Naomi. Now, Naomi's having a bit of a hard time with it, too. Her name actually means pleasant. But when she um, speaks, she says, don't call me pleasant anymore, call me bitter, because the hand of God has turned against me. And then Naomi said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. When, she, when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. And without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. From a human perspective, there was not much hope for Ruth in Bethlehem. It was unlikely that any Israelite man would want to marry a pagan Gentile. She would be poor. She would be an outcast. She would most likely be a widow, and she would most likely be childless. But Ruth knows where God is. It is a mistake to think that her decision is only a matter of loyalty and love and friendship, although that certainly is a part of what happened. She showed her loyalty and love and friendship to Naomi. 
But it's not just a matter of friendship and loyalty. Ruth is making a confession of faith. She's making a decision for God. She calls on his name in an oath. She calls him Yahweh, showing an understanding, a revelation knowledge she has of who he is. She's saying, listen, Naomi, I'm forsaking my people and their idolatry and identifying with your people. This is the way I'm going to live till I die. I call on the Lord, Yahweh, because you've taught me about him and he's revealing himself to me. I can't go back and worship an idol. I must go with you and worship the living God that you have taught me about. Declaration of faith. Commitment to walk in trusting and worshiping God. And God is a rewarder of those who seek him. God has a beautiful plan to reward Ruth. Poor and hungry, Ruth gathers bundles of wheat that have been dropped by the reapers in the vast fields of Boaz, who is not only a man of wealth and social standing, but he is also a kinsman of Naomi's. He is a kinsman redeemer. He has the power and authority to redeem Ruth. And he's a prototype of Christ, our kinsman redeemer, which is like a whole other sermon. Eventually, Boaz takes notice of Ruth's righteousness and asks her for her hand in marriage. Ruth conceives Obed. Matthew, Matthew chapter 1 lists the genealogy of Christ. Let's listen and look at verse 5 and 6. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot King David. Ruth's great-grandson is King David. What an amazing reward for faithfully seeking God. What evidence of grace given to a woman committed to finding and seeking and determining who she will worship, the God of Israel. I love Matthew Henry's commentary that explains the power of those few words up there. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon, and it goes on. But I love what he says about it. Matthew Henry says, Ruth bore a son through whom thousands and myriads were born to God. And in being in the lineal ancestor, and in being the lineal ancestor of Christ, she was instrumental in the happiness of all that shall be saved by him, even of us Gentiles, as well, of the, as well as those of Jewish descent. She was a witness for God to the Gentile world that he had not utterly forsaken them, but in due time they should become one with his chosen people and partake of his salvation. She gave birth to testimony. She gave birth to witness. She gave birth to the plan of God. She gave birth to a destiny that led to, to the fulfillment of so many other people's destiny. Now, in the natural, Ruth had no power to change her life. But it is in our natural condition or the circumstances we find ourselves in that eventually allow us to birth God's will. We, too, can choose to cleave or to leave. 
Cleaving is clinging to God with all the love in our heart. Running to him, not back to Moab. God's existence and fullness was wonderfully displayed in Ruth's life. You could not observe her life and miss the impact of God's grace. You could not observe her life and wonder where God was. Ruth responded to the revelation of God that she was given with faith and adoration and trust. She could have chosen not to seek him. She could have chosen the familiar instead of taking a step of faith. And I can identify with that. I can identify with that. Sometimes it's easier to hide out in Moab. It's easier to be like Naomi and say, call me bitter now. I used to be called pleasant, but my name is now bitter because the hand of God has turned against me. It's easy to be like Naomi and let our mouth go south. (laughs) Anybody been there? But food and hope and the birthing plan of God are found in Bethlehem. When our faith takes us home to the place of bread and praise, it takes us home to harvest and it takes us home to Pentecost. It takes us home to God's plan to do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond anything we could dare to hope, ask, or think. I want to switch gears a little bit and look at a story from 2 Samuel 6, 12-23. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with a sound of trumpet. Then it happened, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offering and the peace offering, He blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Further, he distributed to all the people, to all the multitude of Israel, both to men and women, a cake of bread and one of dates and one of raisins to each one. And then all the people departed back to his house. But when David returned to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself in the eyes of his servants, of his servants' maids, as as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken with them, I will be distinguished. Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to that day. 
to the day of her death. She was barren. David's moving in faith and obedience. He knows where the ark is, and he knows where the ark is. The people of God are being blessed. He knows God has promised to meet his people in special ways at the mercy seat of the ark of the covenant. And he knows where God is. He knows who God is, and he responds in a pleasing way with exuberant worship. Worship that pleased God. Michael despised David. She is called the daughter of Saul, not the wife of David. God had taken the kingdom away from Saul because his faith was lacking. Saul's sin and unbelief was greater than his worship, and he didn't have the faith to trust God completely. He thought he could get away with partial obedience, which really isn't worship. Michael's heart did not reflect faith or love for God or any true understanding of God's character. Her pride was greater than her desire to please God, and God struck her with barrenness. And I asked God about that one day. You know, do you ever feel that way? You know, like, God, Moses isn't going to get to go into the promised land, really? <laughs> you know, and, and, and she has one bad moment and says something mean, and she's not going to get to have a child. Well, God knows our hearts better than that. He knows the difference between a heart that's having a bad moment and a heart that really has rejected who he is. And that's the heart Michael had. So why barrenness? Why that particular punishment? And this is what God put on my heart. There are things that we will never give birth to in our lives without a willingness to worship. There are things we will never give birth to in our lives if we step outside of that place where we meet God in worship. Faith leads to a deep desire to please God and live a life of worship. And God has a destiny for each one of us. We are called to walk in faith like Ruth. And even in tough places, God wants to use us to display his grace. Even in Sandy Hook. Even in Boston. Even our, I say to some of the teachers I know have had a tough year, I know you have. And I've been there. Even in our classrooms. If we can say, I will go where you go, I will love who you love, I will please you by worshiping you alone, our reward will be great. And God will use us to birth things. He will use us to give birth to ministries that could possibly affect not only people on an immediate <clears throat> level, but might affect people for generations. Without faith, we're people of faith. It is impossible to please God. But we know what it looks like to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. We believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I don't know where you are this morning. If you've never accepted Christ, that's the first step of faith you need to make. 
musicians, if you'll come. That's the first step of Christ you need to make. And he's, if he's calling you this morning, during this last song, the altars are open, and there are many people who would be willing to pray for you. If you're seeking right now, and you haven't found, come to the altar. And if you just are feeling so thankful, and you want to tell God once again, I'll go where you go, I'll serve who you serve, I'll love whom you love, I'll do it, Lord. I know I've said it before. I know I've said it before. And sometimes I've done it a little well, and sometimes I've done it not so well. But it's still my heart. The altars are open. Hallelujah.